excited this morning because I uh, don't have just one O'Bearn girl up here with me. I have three O'Bearn girls. I've got my sister Emily just back from Haiti, and then my sister Anna. I don't have to do much singing this morning, so I'm going to let them do a lot more of it. Um, I was thinking last night. Also, my mom's back here. I would be remiss if I didn't mention that. She'd let me know later. So, uh, Last night I was thinking, I follow persecution.org on Twitter. And I was reading some of the most recent tweets, and I was thinking about the freedom we have uh, to come here on Sunday morning. And just listen to these, what, what other folks are dealing with in other parts of countries. Um, our partner in the Middle East have asked for the West to pray the church will grow even while the government sinks, seeks to hunt them down. In response, uh, the threat of church demolition in China, the Christians say they are ready to fight to the end. Uh, we have nowhere to go. A Syrian refugee forced to flee due to increased kidnapping and violence. Do, I think it's easy for us to come here Sunday morning and just sit in our pews and realize that we've been taking this stuff for granted because look at what people do in other countries to fight to be at church, to fight to get able to be able to just read their Bibles, worship their Savior. And we sit here, it's easy to not even think of the impact or the significance of what it is to be here this morning. And so it's not to guilt you guys into singing better this morning. It's more to put it in perspective that, that God has put us in a place that we have freedom to worship. We have freedom to sit here. We have freedom. And we don't have to watch our backs as we leave here. And so I, I encourage you guys this morning not to take it for granted to embrace what we have here this morning and enjoy being able to be here with your brothers and sisters in Christ and worshiping our Savior this morning. Let's stand and sing a couple songs together here. <laughs> I was playing a different song. My sister was looking over at me like, ah, uh, we already did that one. <laughs> uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 5 today, so go ahead and, and get your Bibles, Pew Bible. Uh, it's page 836 in my Bible. Mark is the second book in the New Testament. Um, we're going to be in chapter 5. So, phone, iPad, whatever you want. Um, I loved Kyle's message last week, and I really identified most with the disciples screaming, Jesus, we're drowning. We are dying. Or better yet, we are about to die. Do you even care? Right? Two and a half years ago, Heather and I, uh, we were in a pretty bad place um, spiritually. Uh, I was dealing with immense anger and just unanswered prayer and confusion. And Heather was really dealing with a lot of depression. It was just an ugly place in our house. It was bad for us. It was bad for our kids. And it was really bad for you, uh, the church we were trying to lead. Um, so we, we went to the elders and asked for a month off. I essentially said, um, you don't want me working for you in this state. So uh, I, I need a month off or I got to be done. Um, and so... We went and they graciously gave us a month off and we started that month by going to the mountains of uh, Colorado and in the beauty and all that my parents came with us they watched our kids some and we, so we were able to go and just spend time together and spend time uh, with God together 
and he revealed a lot of very cool things to us. Um, but when we came back, things got a lot more confusing, um, and we just were still in that, that pit, in that place of hardship. And so we were going to some counseling, and we were actually going to the same counselor. You remember a few weeks ago, Tim uh, shared a little bit of his story with us, and the counselor he's going to is the same counselor we went to at the changing point. Um, and I remember sitting there and Heather describing to our counselor exactly how she was feeling, and, and these words put it perfectly for both of us. And she said to him, she said, I feel like I, I'm sitting in a deep, deep pit of mud. And with all of my attempts, and those attempts being reading my Bible, praying, crying out to God, going to worship services, getting counseling from different people, with all those attempts, I just feel like I'm getting deeper and more muddy, and I just can't get out. I mean, have you ever felt, have you ever felt like that? Have you ever been there? I mean, maybe you've been there. It's a, it's a, it's a hopeless, helpless place to be. And maybe you're there this morning. And maybe if you're not there this morning and you've never been there, maybe you're going to be there in the future. So my prayer and my hope is that this message would just be a, a breath of fresh air for you, that you would be able to sit and rest in the presence of God and, and, and know that He loves you and know that He loves you. You see, what our counselor responded to us with was the best and most encouraging thing, simple, profound thing that I've ever heard up to that point in my life when I was struggling. And he said this. He said, well, I think that maybe God just wants to sit in the mud with you for a little while. And I was like, that is like, it was like uh, the clouds were open and the burden was lifted and I realized at that moment that God was saying to me and to Heather, listen, I can handle the mud. You're dirty. You look disgusting. But I can handle the mud. I handled the cross for you. And that just gave me an immense amount of peace. You see, in the midst of life and in the midst of trial and hardship, God is always after your heart. So the title this morning of the sermon is going to be this, is He Sees Me. I want to read this verse to you from James 1, verse 2. It says, Consider it pure joy, or like Sam shared with us when he shared his testimony, he uh, said, Consider joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work in you so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Because God is after your heart in the middle of your situation. So when you read this, he sees me, there's a question mark at the end. And so you can read it in, in several different ways, wherever you are in, in your life right now, whatever hardship, whatever joy you're facing. I thought these three things, and I, I've, I've been to all of these places in my life, but you could read it like this, emphasizing the first word. He sees me. Like, you may be here this morning and you think that God created you, but he's distant. And you haven't had a prayer answered in a long time. So God actually sees you. And then you could read it like this. 
But the second word, he sees me. Because maybe you think that, yeah, God loves you. But here's the deal. He sees every little detail of your heart. The good, the bad, the ugly, and he sees it. Or you may read it like this. He sees me? Because I'm sitting here this morning and I've messed up too much. Like I'm too guilty for God to see me. Or I keep sinning in the same way over and over and over again and I just can't shake it. He he doesn't see me. He doesn't know me. He doesn't want to answer my prayers. He sees me. So I want to encourage you uh, from the beginning to read on your own uh, Mark chapter 5 verse 1 to 20 um, because we're not going to be there too much today but I want to just describe the scenario for you because it fits into where we're going this morning. So um, essentially there is a demon possessed man the demon's name is Legion because there are many and this man (coughs) excuse me was in the tombs and often the demon would cause him to throw himself around scream and wail and often cut himself with stones. So what does Jesus do? Jesus comes in and casts the demon out. And the demons ask Jesus, they say, say, don't make us leave this region. Cast us into the pigs. And there were some pigs there. And then it says, I love this, it says that Jesus gave them permission, right? They had to get permission from Jesus. Many, okay, a legion of demons were so afraid and so underneath Jesus they had to get permission from Jesus to do what they were asking him so Jesus says okay so he casts them out of the man the man is healed there and the demons go into the pigs the pigs run off uh, into the water and they all drown right so the the people that saw that happen and the uh, the herdsmen run into town and they tell they tell all the people this is what happened this is uh, what Jesus did And all these people would have known who this guy was because every time they went out by the water and they saw the tombs, there was this guy just going nuts, okay? And they could not bind him with chains, heavy chains. He had busted them free many, many times. So the people would have known this. So the people come back out to Jesus and they say, Jesus, you got to leave. And we we just, you just got to go. You got to go from our region. But here's what I want you to see from that is that the people were concerned that Jesus was going to mess up their comfortable way of life, right? But Jesus was concerned with that one man's heart. Jesus saw that one man and his need, and he met him in that place, regardless of what was going to happen to to the culture if he healed this man, regardless of what was going to happen, what the people thought he saw that one man. So I encourage you to go back and read verses 1 to 20. Uh, a couple ideas that I want to preface this uh, message with is this. is a big question I always have in my mind when we read stories of people getting healed, whether Jesus is healing them or if uh, the apostles are healing them in the book of Acts. We see it happen all the time. But the big question that I have, and in, in our story today, there's two people that get healed. So here's the question in my mind that I struggle with, that I've struggled with for years, and that I still struggle with sometimes. But the question is, what is happening in the spiritual realm, and how do I respond when God does not heal? Right? How do I respond when God does not heal? Because I think, honestly, like, if, if that just happened all the time, if people were just healed all the time in Jesus' name, then yeah, 
Woo, I believe too, right? As if it's that easy, in Jesus' name, let's all go, let's go to the hospital, let's get everybody healed, and everybody's going to believe in Jesus, right? Right? This is the struggle that I have in my mind. Why does that not always happen? Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He lies me down, he makes me lie down in green pastures. I love that because he knows we need rest, so he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters, he restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness, and then the next few words are key. For his name's sake. So the first thing you've got to know whenever we read a story like this is number one, God is for God. God is a jealous God and ultimately what God wants is for his own glory. God is for God. That sounds just arrogant, right? But get this, Romans 5.8 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God is for God. But God is God, and I am not. God is perfect, and I am flawed. And he still loves me. I mean, that's intense. That's real love. And that thought alone should wake me up every morning, get me through the day, and let me sleep with peace at night. But then my flesh and the things of the world get in the way of that truth, right? So God is for God. We move on. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9 says this, and this is Paul talking. He says, To keep me from being conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan. See, we don't know exactly what the nature of that thorn was. Scholars think that it could have either been a deep depression over the sufferings he had already endured, but more likely because he, had, he speaks in, in Philippians and other places in the Bible that he desires to have joy in the midst of his suffering. It's more likely that this thorn in his flesh was actually a physical ailment, okay? And so, and, and Satan was just using that against him to discourage him. And what does it say? It says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, God allowed Paul to endure through this thorn in his side to teach him, because God is always after the heart. Whenever we talk about stuff and healings, these, pe- these questions inevitably come up in-, in people's minds. So one, know this, that God is for God, and he still loves us. And number two, God is always after your heart. The message of the gospel is all about the need for heart healing in Christ. And so whenever we read about people being healed, yes, God has the power to heal. We, are, we know that. Whenever we read about people being healed, it is always secondary to the message of the gospel that is after heart healing and heart transformation. The miracles are always secondary and they give a little oomph to the power of God. Okay, But you could sit here this morning and be like, man, 
I have prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for this, and God just hasn't healed me. God just hasn't heard me. You know what? The mud ain't no big thing for God. God loves sitting in the mud with us sometimes because sometimes the quickest way to our heart is to get through the mud, right? So let's go to, uh, to Mark chapter 5, verse 21. And we're going to go through this together. Again, sermon title is, He Sees Me. So let's start verse 21. It says this, When Jesus had crossed, had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Remember two weeks ago, just keep seating. Well, Jesus was in a boat just off the shore, right? And he, he, he spoke to the people in, in parables. And then last week, he had gone out into the middle of the water with his disciples. And Kyle told us about the storm. He calmed that storm. And then after he calmed that storm, he went on to the other side, okay? And that's the beginning of chapter 5. And he teaches people there. And now, again, he has crossed back over to the other side of the lake. See, Jesus just wanted to tell as many people everywhere about the message of the kingdom of God because that is why he has come. He says that in the gospel. In verse 22, then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she may be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. This is huge. A synagogue ruler was a lay leader in the religious community. He would have been one of these guys that hung out with Pharisees, hung out with Sadducees. They would have been the group that was telling Jesus, remember the circle, the table we had up here? Jesus, you can't do that. You can't hang out with these people. You can't hang out with tax collectors and sinners. You just can't do that. Jesus, you can't heal on the Sabbath because that's against the law. Jesus, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't. And what's more is you are not the son of God. So these guys did not believe this. So for Jairus to kneel down at Jesus' feet, begging him alone to come and heal his daughter, would have set him up for major ridicule by the whole group that he claimed to be a part of. Right? He was claiming that Jesus can do what he says he can do. When all his compadres, I don't even know what that word means, I've just heard it used for people in a group, when all the people he hung out with, they would have been looking at him and saying, Whoa, wait a minute. Wait, you're gonna, you, you crazy. You're going to believe in Jesus? He is not who he says he is. We can't give him fuel for his fire. Jarius, what are you doing? So it was huge. Jarius, a, a, a synagogue ruler, did that. Verse 25. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she got worse. Two things. In that culture, first of all, women were second-class citizens. All right? So if you were a woman, you automatically had that against you. It wasn't your fault. You were born that way, but you had it against you. Even so, that in the temple, all right, Dudes, husbands, don't be looking at your wives like, see, I told you. I'll, t- I'll tell you what. That don't, you can't use that. I'm not going to be that, that, the fuel for that fire, okay? In the temple in that day, they actually had built a specific spot, a specific area for only women to go worship, right? So when, they couldn't go with the men and worship with the men. They had to, the, they had to be in the spot for women, right? So number one, she was a woman. Number two, she had a disease that 
by their law, she would have been ceremonially unclean. And what she would have had to do is walk around, how humiliating is this? Unclean, unclean, unclean. That's why everybody knew I got to stay away from her. Because if she touches me or if I touch her, I become ceremonially unclean. And then I need to do all, those, all the rituals to become clean again, right? This, this kind of reminds me, it's kind of funny. I love rednecks and I like redneck jokes and I, I, all that stuff. But you ever heard the here's your sign jokes? Everybody, anybody? Raise your hand if you've heard the here's your sign jokes. Okay, good. And some of you will get this. Others, I just hope you think it's funny. And so I don't know if, if uh, Jeff Fox really does it or Bill Ingvall, but I'll do it in my best uh, southern twang. Um, what did he say this? You know what? I just hate stupid people. Stupid people, you should just give stupid people a sign to wear around that says, I'm stupid. That way, you would just know to avoid them, right? I would avoid stupid people. So one time, I was, I I lost the Southern thing, sorry. So one time, I don't know if it started. One time, I was driving my car along, and I got a flat tire, right? And so someone pulls up next to me and says, you got a flat tire? I couldn't resist. Nope. I was driving along, and the other three just swelled right up on me. <laughs> Here's your sign. See, that's humiliating. If I had to walk around holding the sign, I'm stupid. I'm stupid. Don't let me touch you, or you'd be stupid too, right? This, this is like what this woman had to do. Unclean, unclean, unclean. But she walks through this crowd. I mean, this is amazing. She walks through this crowd. She's not yelling unclean, because if she was yelling unclean, everybody would be clearing, the, clearing out of the way, and Jesus would have heard her and known she was coming. Because in verse 27, listen to this, it says this. Verse 27. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, because she thought, if only I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she had been freed from her suffering. By her touching Jesus, she should have made him, by law, ceremony, unclean. She should have made him unclean by touching him. But she didn't. Jesus made her clean when she touched him. Because Jesus is powerful enough. You know, that's me and you. In the book of Acts, uh, in chapter 10, is when God is sending Peter to go give the gospel to the Gentiles. And to Peter, the Jews were God's chosen people. The Jews, the gospel was for the Jews. And, and, and God says, he said, no, hey, Peter says that I am not going, the Gentiles, they're unclean, right? But God says, Jesus actually says, don't call anything unclean or impure that God has made clean. That's me and you. That's me and you. God is big enough for our uncleanness. God is big enough for the mud. And God is big enough to heal and rescue your heart. Verse 29, immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see all the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet with 
trembling and with fear, she told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. See, all these people were touching him and pressing around him. And so, I mean, really? Like, they all probably had some things wrong with them as well. So why wasn't power just like spewing out all over the place from Jesus every time somebody touched him? Power going out here, power going out there, power going out here. But no, Jesus knew and saw her heart. In, 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 the, in the crowd of people, Jesus knew and he saw her heart alone. And so when she touched him, he could tell power to heal somebody physically and power to heal somebody's heart just went out from me. See, in the midst of all the people in the world, when we're in the middle of a helpless and hopeless situation, maybe you've been there, maybe you're there right now, and chances are you're going to be there sometime in your life. But when we're in the middle of a helpless and hopeless situation, God in Christ takes time to see you as an individual to see me as an individual. He knows your pain, he knows your suffering, and he wants your heart. You see, he saw her heart, he saw her faith, and he healed her. This doesn't always happen, right? Every time we pray for God to heal, he doesn't always heal. He didn't do it with Paul. Paul asked, Paul begged three times, take this thorn away from me, and Jesus said, no. Why? Because I'm after your heart. Your suffering in this matter is the quickest way for me to get to your heart. In it, with Job, Job suffered unspeakable things. God was after his heart. Verse 35. While Jesus, while Jesus was still speaking, remember, they're on their way to heal Jairus' daughter, right? Jairus is all excited about this because he's, he's, he's bold enough to have knelt down before Jesus, and now they're on their way to, to Jairus' daughter. But while Jesus was still speaking about the woman, to the woman, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, and said, your daughter is dead. They said, don't, uh, why bother the teacher anymore? If I'm Jairus at this point, I am mad, right? Because think about it, a unclean woman just kept Jesus long enough, now my daughter's dead, right? I'm frustrated at this point, but look at Jesus' response. I love this. Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. That is exactly like God sitting right next to me in the pit of mud when I can't tell he's there because he's, he's all camouflage in the mud, playing around with in it, you know, having a good time. I don't know he's there because of all the stuff in my life that is getting me deeper and deeper and deeper. And what is his response? Hey, you can't see what I'm about to do. You can't see the future. Don't be afraid. Only believe. I'm powerful enough for the mud. See, Jesus is not bound by time. We are. Jesus is not bound by death, and we're afraid of it. 
He was powerful enough to take time to see the woman as an individual in the midst of the crowds of people. He was able to take time to do that, and he was not afraid of what was going to happen to the little girl because he knew he was powerful enough to deal with whatever the situation was when he got there. Because so often, I pray for my timeline to happen. I think, God, you have to do this for me right now. And if you don't do it for me right now, then it's not going to happen. And Jesus says, stop being afraid that I can't do what you're going to ask me to do. Just believe me. Trust me. Because so often we believe in what we see God do. We base our faith on what we see God do. But sometimes God doesn't do what we ask him to do. Why? Because he's after my heart. And so when I don't see God do what I've asked him to do, but he does what he knows is best for me, i got to stop basing my faith on what he does, but I base my faith on who he says he is and the promises that he has already made me. Because if I base my faith on who he says he is, then I can trust and believe that whatever he does, even though it doesn't match up with what I want, Whatever he does is best. I can believe that, and I can trust it, right? He wasn't afraid of the little girl dying. He took time to see the woman, and he took time to address Jairus' need. Verse 37, to the end. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, The girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. They laughed at him. (laughs) And so what does Jesus say? I mean, they're like, Jesus, you are crazy. Like, we saw her die. She's dead. She can't be any more dead. She's dead. We saw her die. She's not breathing, no pulse. She is dead. And Jesus says, no, she's not. She's just sleeping, right? And they laugh at him. And I love this. So Jesus, what does he do? You don't believe me? Okay, you can't come in and see this miracle. Because they think Jesus knew that all the people that were following him, all the people that were crowding around him. Jesus was not interested in the following. He was not interested in being famous. He was not interested in the crowds because I think he knew that they were following him because they wanted to see a miracle. I mean, he addresses this later on in the Gospels. He said, hey, you came so that you could see a miracle, right? But I'm going to tell you the message because Jesus is always after our hearts. So he tells them after they laugh at him, all right, fine. You can't come in and see this miracle because I'm not concerned about changing your mind about this. I'm concerned about one man's heart. 
I'm concerned about a woman's heart. I'm concerned about a little girl's heart. And if all you want to see is a miracle, you can't come in and see this. Because earlier, okay, after he had finished with the woman, and they come to him and say, hey, don't bother the teacher anymore. Don't bother Jesus anymore because she's already dead. There's, not, there's nothing we can do, right? And Jesus says, hey, what? If I am who I say I am, and if I could do what I say I can do, then don't be afraid. Just believe. And then he says to all those people, you know what? You can't come. None of the crowds can come because Jesus wasn't in, in, in interested in the fame. Jesus was interested in one heart. Jesus was interested in one heart. He is powerful enough to meet you in the mud. See, people in life circumstances that shout to us that, hey, you can't, why do you believe in God? Why do you believe in what Jesus has said? So you can't trust him. You can't trust that. And then life circumstances, when he seems to not be answering our prayers when he seems to be distant from us and all we're trying to do is get up and faithfully read our bible every morning all we're trying to do is cry out to god all we're trying to do is go to go to worship services that we think will be helpful you see we went to many worship services uh during our month off and um at at different places And, and i remember the first one that i went to i just sat in my chair with my head between my knees and my hand my hands over my face just begging God to let me feel something. Like, God, connect with me in some way here. Let me feel and know your presence. And I sat there for the whole hour and felt nothing. And so we did it again. And so we did it again. And so we did it again. And eventually, through the mud, God chipped it away off of my heart and he got to my heart and he started to reveal himself to me saying, hey, I love sitting next to you. I love being with you wherever I am. See, here's the question. Why did Jesus die for us, right? Why did Jesus die? One, to give us future hope that we could be with him someday. Two, because our hearts needed to be healed. And so often, this is why I say all the time, preach the gospel to yourself because you're going to wake up and sometimes you're not going to think that God sees you. You're not going to think that God loves you. You're not going to think that God knows you intimately. You're not going to believe that someday when you wake up. But God promises that, hey, I just want to sit with you in the mud because I want to get to your heart. So through all the suffering, through all the trials, I'm still right there, and I see you in the midst of all these people, because how could God possibly deal with my problem when he's got so many other people to love and to deal with? Well, God's big enough for your problem. God's big enough for your issue. Like Kyle said last night, God is big enough for your storm. Each individual storm, he's powerful enough for it. My favorite time, and Tim, you guys can come back up. My favorite time of all times to hold my kids, I love holding my kids all the time, but my favorite time to hold my kids is right after they fall. 
and right after they hurt themselves. Because right after they fall and right after they hurt themselves, there is no time when they would rather be in my arms, right? Because they hold on extra tight, because they know there's safety in my arms, because they know there's refuge in my arms, because they know and they think, if only dad or mom can hold me, everything's going to be all right. My favorite time to hold my kids is right after they fall. But here's the thing. I didn't make them fall. I didn't cause them to get hurt. But when they get hurt, I love to hold them. Because when they're hurt and I'm holding them, they just want to be with me. It's the same way with God. I mean, he died for us. And we're going to take some time to remember him while we sing. And so, if you have a relationship with Jesus, come up to the front or there's a table in the back and take the bread and the juice. But he said that he, this is his body broken for us and his blood spilled out for us. When we do this, do it to remember him. And so he's given us these symbols to do this. And as we remember him this morning, I want you to come to these tables and say, when you take it, God, thank you for seeing me in the middle of my pain. Thank you for knowing the little ins and outs and the details of my life and for taking time to heal me. Thank you that I can be here in your presence. And God, I just want you to hold me. I just want you to hold me. God, I pray that as we are in your presence now, that you would meet us here. We know you're big enough and you're powerful enough for the mud in our lives and you want to get to our hearts, God, that you see us even when we can't feel it, even when we don't know it and it's hard to believe. But you just want to hold us when we hurt. Father, we need you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus, we just thank you so much. We don't want it just to be a song that, that stirs us up emotionally to serve and praise you. We want to be able to, to sit back and look at your greatness and to, to walk out of this building and to see you in our lives, not just on Sunday morning. And so I pray, Lord, that you take these people here, Lord, and you, you continue to stir up within us this emotion of praise and worship and gratefulness for what you've done and that we would just go live it and just praise you for who you are in your name. Amen. You guys have a good week. Hopefully we'll see you next week.